This week on The Rail Splitter, we are going to talk about Lincoln's addresses to Congress. My name is Jeremy. With me is Nick. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And Mary. Hey, everybody. And we are coming at you on, we're recording this on Wednesday. This show is going to drop on December 14th. Hopefully you enjoyed our Star Wars episode last week, and hopefully you were in line somewhere, maybe, or on your way to see <laughs> see The Last Jedi, and we hope you enjoy it. And if you had to wait a couple days to listen to this episode, we totally understand. So, uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about what is now known as the State of the Union Address, but in Lincoln's time was just kind of an address to Congress. But before we get into that, we did want to talk to you all about a couple Lincoln items. Uh, the first, I just wanted to share um, something that I came across kind of doing other work um, this week, I guess. Um, and that is a list by a writer who I'm a huge fan of. Named Tanahazi Coates. Um, some of you may be familiar with him. He uh, won the National Book Award for Between the World and Me, uh, which I read and was was really really a strong strong piece, and I recommend that to anybody. It's a very quick read, uh, but it will change your life, and I don't say that lightly. Um, and then he also just released a new book called We Were Eight Years in Power, also very good. Um, those two books are about race in America. Uh, and it was interesting. I was looking for an article on something else, and um, I did notice in Between the World and Me, which is kind of autobiographical in a way, he talked about how much he liked learning about the Civil War. And I was looking for articles that he had written just for some work-related issues um, and tasks that I was working on, and I found his most recent article for The Atlantic, uh, who he's a, a columnist for, uh, was about the Civil War, um, and, and it was kind of a lighter and more of a fun list. So I thought I'd share that with you all. Uh, this was published in November, so it's not that old, but uh, the title of the article is Five Books to Make You Less Stupid About the Civil War. Um, and I'm always on Ooh, a, I need this. <laughs> I'm on a lifelong quest to be less stupid. Um, so maybe, yeah. Some people call it lifelong learning. Others call it... Try to be less stupid for the rest of your life. Um, so I want to go through the list. Uh, this is very similar to an idea that one of our, our listeners and uh, definitely a valued member of Rail Splitter Nation, uh, Dr. Bauer, put out about um, your, I think, was it a Civil War six-pack? I think that's what he called it. Yep. He called it a six-pack. Yeah. Uh, six books that he would... Are we talking about my stomach again? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Neither one of our stomachs is involved in the six-pack conversation. I, I, you have seen my stomach. In a while, I, I don't I, feel I, like... I can speak for myself, and there's a lot of six packs. Not just we'll one. get Karen in here; she'll tell you. <laughs> pass. I'm gonna take a hard pass. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Tanahazi Coates, uh, his list, um, and he was very specific. He this is not necessarily a top five list, or his favorite five. It's very specifically five to make you less stupid. Uh, and he kind of mentions that there's some. 
that um, he dearly loves and are indispensable that are not on this list. He mentioned W.B. Du Bois's Black Reconstruction in America as the one that immediately came to mind. Um, but he talked about, and what spurned this list was uh, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly um, referring to the Civil War as coming about as a lack of an ability to compromise. Um, and we talked a little bit about that a few shows ago. But anyway, without further ado, the... According to Ta-Nehisi Coates, the five books to make you less stupid about the Civil War. Um, his first on the list, Battle Cry of Freedom, uh, which is arguably, he says, among the greatest single-volume histories of all of American historiography. Um, Battle Cry of Freedom is, of course, by James McPherson um, and is a synthesis of the entire war. It's brisk, um, and it's... Um, uh, he calls it, and this is why I like this list so much. Tony Hazico says it's a big ass book that reads much like a slimmer one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so awesome! Yeah, you got my vote. That uh, is about true for that one. Yeah, and it says read this book, you'll be immediately less stupid for some of than some of the most powerful people in the West Wing. All right, uh, number two. Of oh, the, the high school? Oh wait, no. Hey, the West Wing. Yeah, yeah, that was a burn, burn on the English department. Yeah, these are, these are inside jokes that precisely. Two of our listeners will get. <laughs> There's uh, two English users that listen to us? No, I'm just saying two people that know that know about the West Wing oh. in our school. But maybe. Um, number two, Mary, will you'll be happy to know yep. is Grant mm-hmm. by Ron Chernow. Brand new, brand new book. Um, and he calls it another classic. Uh, Ron Chernow, of course, very famous for his work Hamilton, which uh, inspired the musical. Mary, can you talk to us a little bit about Grant? Because you've read it, I believe, right? I, I haven't actually read the Chernow one. I've read the one by Ronald C. White, okay. um, which was also an excellent book. I do plan on reading. Um, right now I'm reading a biography about Stanton. Um, I think next I'm going to read Grant by Ron Chernow. But I've had a few of my followers, um, they're reading it, and they've been tweeting me about it and saying how good of a book it is. So I'm really looking forward to reading it. And part of me kind of hopes a musical comes out of it, actually. Yeah, there you go. We can Ooh. always hope. Um, or at least just a little spinoff, and that's more of a Lincoln musical. I think in his honorable mentions, he did mention uh, Grant's autobiography um, as well mm-hmm. at the end of the yeah. article. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, then, uh, and that's considered one of the best autobiographies by any president. Mm-hmm. So, And yeah. it's always been in print. I just saw that on Twitter. I don't know if you retweeted that out, Mary. but Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah so. That's, yeah, that's kind of a cool story. I own it. I started his autobiography, but I never finished it. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great failure. story. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to mention uh, about Grant by Ron Chernow, um, the close of his little write-up about it. He says, Grant, Grant, the title, Grant hits like a Mack truck of knowledge. Stupid doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> the next uh, book on the list, Reading the Man, A Portrait of Robert E. Lee by Elizabeth Pryor. Um, I am not familiar with or I was not familiar with this, so um, it is uh, interesting that he included this. Um, and it says it helps part with a lot of stupid out there about Lee, chiefly that he was somehow anti-slavery. So I think this uh, kind of gets rid of that uh, sugar-coated version of Robert E. Lee and is, is a little bit more real. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for a Robert E. Lee biography, um, interestingly, I have read a book called Crucible. I think it's called Crucible of Power. Um, yeah. But, okay. Um, it is a dual biography by Grant about Grant and Lee, which I thought was pretty good. Um, so if you don't have time for uh, uh, 
Mr. Coates' two and three, you could try Crucible of Power. I thought it was quite good. Um, but it was it was kind of trying to draw parallels between the two figures, uh, which it which I think they accomplished and accomplished pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth book on the list is Out of Out of the House of Bondage. Um, it is a slim volume that dispenses with the notion that there was such a thing as good domestic or matronly slavery, um, and it is a um, kind of a synthesis of the history of slavery as it related to the Civil War. Um, and he closes the write up about it. Slavery was the monster that made monsters of its masters. Compromising with it was morally bankrupt and stupid. So it's kind of going with the beating stupid thing. Um, a book that I've read that is similar is called The Half Has Never Been Told, uh, which is a history of slavery. Uh, that book uh, definitely it was not pleasant to read, but um, very, very informative about what slavery was actually about. Um, I know, like the um, what is it, Solomon Northrop's narrative that, that was the basis for Twelve Years a Slave is a good slave narrative. Uh, Frederick Douglass is another one, which we'll get to, also. Um, and then the fifth book on the list, The Life and Times of Frederick Douglass, uh, which is the final of three autobiographies written by Frederick Douglass, um, which he calls epic and sweeping in scope. Um, and I, I would agree, I have read parts of that. I have not read the whole thing. I've read parts of all of his autobiographies at various stages of uh, needing to, to learn about things. So um, I thought that was a very cool list. It was a neat way to do it, um, kind of a lighter list while also recommending some, some real solid solid works out there. What do you I all thought think? It was a really, I thought it was a really great article. And, it, like, sad to say, I haven't read any of these books yet. I have owned Battle Cry Freedom for a few years, haven't got around to reading it yet. And just, this is kind of inspiring me to maybe, you know, expand my Civil War reading list a little bit more. So I think a list like this is great um, to have. It's a really good article. So thank you for um, talking about it. Yeah, I thought it was cool. And uh, he does close with saying, um, that should get you to unstupid, but don't stop there. <laughs> read Du Bois, read Grant's own memoirs, which Nick mentioned. Read Harriet Jacobs, who I'm actually not familiar with. Uh, read Eric Foner, who uh, Eric Foner wrote The Fiery Trial, which is mm-hmm. excellent about Lincoln and slavery specifically. Read Bruce Levine. It's not that hard, you know. You have nothing to lose save your, your own stupid. I think <laughs> so, Eric Foner has written a lot of Reconstruction books. Yeah. He's, Am uh, I right? Kind of a, he's kind of a specialist in slavery and Reconstruction, and then, of course, Lincoln and the Civil War by extension. Did you write an AP book? Uh, just... He may have. I'm not sure. Sorry. This is a teacher and me coming out. <laughs> so, um, and real quick, I know we want to get to our topic because we've got a lot to talk about today with um, Lincoln's addresses to Congress. But we did want to spend a little bit of time. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, which is, we're right Wednesday, December 13th. We're right in the heart of the holiday season. So happy holidays to everybody. It is the second night of Hanukkah tonight. So if you're celebrating that, uh, happy holidays to you. Uh, and then, of course, uh, many of you all and us are getting ready for the Christmas holiday coming up, um, among others. So happy holidays, everybody. But I think it is important to take a couple seconds to talk about possible gift ideas for the Lincoln enthusiast in your house. So do you guys have any ideas that we could share with the listeners out there? Um, although many of our listeners are probably like, maybe they should put it on their list instead of buying it for someone else or, or casually, <laughs> casually play the podcast when they're driving somewhere with their uh, significant other or their family as a as a way to drop the hint um well i'm all about like geeky t-shirts and like geeky historical t-shirts and 
I discovered on redbubble.com that they have Civil War shirts on there. So um, I actually got one today that I bought it for myself um, on Cyber Monday. Um, it's the Peacemaker's painting. Oh, nice. Nice. With the... Yeah. And yeah, with like Sherman, Grant, Lincoln, and I think Admiral Porter are on it. Um, but I actually bought a couple other shirts on there that are friends or presents for some of my other Lincoln geek friends. Um, they had a really cool rail splitter shirt, which I think I shared with you guys. That was cool. On there. Was, I'm yeah, yeah. A big fan of that. Yeah. One. So yeah. it's they've got a store on there called War is Hell, which famous quote from Sherman. Um so they've got a lot there's a lot of cool things on there for um Lincoln and Civil War geeks. Yeah, and I I have shopped on Redbubble before, but it wasn't for Lincoln stuff. I bought one of my uh favorite shirts that I ever bought for my daughter. Just a quick reference to last week. It was a Star Wars shirt, but it had um, all it had all female uh, heroes from Star Wars, and it said "May the Fierce be with you." Mm. I love that shirt. That's that was, awesome. That cool. So Redbubble is actually a pretty cool site. Um, if you find some find some fun shirts and stuff like that, I'll have so. to check that out. Yeah. That Lincoln Logs one you shared, I thought was good on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I other like day. that. It's like uh like Lincoln Logs with the mustache. Um, that was good. Yeah. I kind of like the the silly ones that are out there. You know, you got the Oscar yeah. Mike one that you wear, boys. Uh, where he's like kind of tatted up and um, kind of play off a little bit Uncle Sam, I think. I don't know what it's a playoff actually, but uh, Oscar Mike, which is also a great organization too, so who supports veterans. Um, so that's worth going to look at. Uh, great stocking stuffer. All sorts of Lincoln lock uh, socks out there. Yeah. So and you know from Trudeau to well, I guess that was Star Wars socks he wore. Yeah, he wore Star Wars yeah. socks. I'm sure he's yeah. got Lincoln socks so. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm uh, pretty sure he does. There's a ton of Lincoln socks out there, so that are pretty epic. And what else is there? You get a Lincoln top hat, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, I would agree with the socks. Um, I was at the uh, my favorite local store here in Rockford, Illinois, called Culture Shock, uh, which is predominantly a record store, but they also have kind of some gift stuff too. But they had a really cool Lincoln scarf um, that was kind of – Kind of a neat little. Don't get me idea. started on scarves. So stupid. <laughs> Apparently, you, well, yeah, because your beard covers your entire neck. It's a little different for you. Not, <laughs> not all of us have jacket. Just sip up your damn jacket. We live in Northern Illinois. We don't need no damn scarves. Uh, they also had a couple other items. They had some. They had some kind of some cool magnets, which would always make some good stocking stuffers. Um, and they have. Uh, I'm not a magnet guy. Like. Never mind, I won't go off my How do you keep papers on your refrigerator when you do a nice job at school? I never did. <laughs> Based on the trivia stuff, you've all heard me on the show. You know, that ain't true. So, um, so yeah, I would recommend some of that stuff. And then they, they have some fun stuff, too. They actually have, um, you know how there's, like, uh, religious candles? Uh, they actually have secular religious candles with, like, Einstein and... Um, uh, that's cool. Like yeah, so and there's a there's an Abraham Lincoln one. Which this is that culture cool. shock? Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll it's it's pretty cool, you know. To find and, and Mary, I know you uh you work in a locally owned uh, retail uh, yeah. store. Uh, I think it's important to uh, give those local. your business. So buy local, culture shock in Rockford, Illinois. Your store is called Finchers, right? In yes, yeah, Finchers in downtown Godrich. Yeah. There you, you got go. any Lincoln Lincoln Christmas stuff there? 
Uh, no, we used to have some Lincoln and Civil War puzzles thanks to me doing a puzzle order one time, and I ordered them for myself, but the minimum was two, so we had some Civil War generals puzzles on the shelf and the Lincoln puzzle on the shelf thanks to me. Oh, you just see people like opening, doing like an inventory. It's like, Mary! <laughs> Has Mary yeah, been ordering like, the inventory again? Someone was like, who ordered those? And my, my boss was like, take a wild guess. Yeah. <laughs> Did they sell? Uh, eventually, yeah, they uh, did. See, there and you go. Clearance rack, or <laughs> it, um, I don't know. I think it was a few weeks before they were going to go on clearance, and I checked like a few weeks before we had this huge sale, and they were both gone. And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> you made it. That's awesome." <laughs> you know, another cool thing. Uh, I don't know if they're for sale, but I used. You guys have probably seen it's like the Civil War pictures with like Star Wars guys inserted. There's been ones yeah. with like oh, yeah. stormtroopers, <laughs> and then. I saw it at a Comic-Con once. I don't know if you could purchase those online or not, but it's kind of cool, you know, combining. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe we should get Nice Wander one of those. Yeah, mashups, yeah, mashups are always cool. So, um, One very, very quick plug I would like to make, if you'll indulge me. Um, on, I believe I'm like 90% sure on Sunday, uh, AJ Mass, who was on our trivia episode and teamed up with Mary, who crushed nick and i mercilessly in the trivia episode uh he has a podcast called beat my guest uh where you compete against his guest and on sunday the guest is going to be me so check that out uh there are some lincoln questions uh on the episode uh and i will give you a very very tiny spoiler i missed them all so i'd be interesting to interested to hear what you all, how you all did. There was, there not a lot of Lincoln stuff. It was a, you know, a general trivia podcast, but uh, nonetheless, there are some fun questions on there. And uh, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts and to support the show a little bit. Um, and, you know, to beat my guest, you would be beating me. And, uh, of course, I would encourage you all to do that. So, all right. I, are we ready to jump into to our show? Uh, Mary was kind enough to put together the show notes, so I'm going to turn over, uh, turn over the hosting duties a little bit to to mary and we'll talk about the messages to congress okay well so yeah today as jeremy said we're talking about the annual message to congress which as he said in the opening is now called the state of the union and just a little bit of background on the state of the union um it was referred to as the annual message to congress from 1790 to 1946 in 1947 it became known as the state of the union i like the annual message to congress better yeah, it's, it sounds really more. Good. It sounds more official because, like yes. the State of the Union, I feel like it becomes like they're always like, "I'm here to deliver the State of the Union, and the State of the Union is strong." Um, and it sounds like a CNN show. Yeah, Anderson Cooper <laughs> on the State of the <laughs> Union. But I do think that the the phrase "State of the Union" would have been so much easier applied to Lincoln, like because like mm-hmm. the State oh, of the too, Union yeah. was like literally. How much of a union are we, and are we are we going to be a union? Because now we don't even think of the union yeah. as a thing, right? Then it would have been the state of the union. Yeah, yeah. How is it going? How yeah. is it going? That reminds me of Ron Burgundy. My name's Ron. <laughs> the state of the union army, the state of the union itself. So yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, how we just kind of we very rarely refer. We I, I basically never refer to the United States as the union, but it was a thing that in Lincoln's time more than it is now, and we don't refer to that. Interesting. Um, so the basis for giving the State of the Union or annual message to Congress, whatever you want to call it, um, is based in the Constitution. 
um, and it stated the president shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Um, another interesting thing, Lincoln never read his message to Congress. He had it, one of his secretaries, either John Nicolay or uh, John Hay, would take it over and a clerk would read it. And it was President Woodrow Wilson who in 1913 brought back the tradition of reading it in person. Um, and it was Thomas Jefferson who decided that the president shouldn't read it because, and I think the reasons were he thought it was too monarchical, or I'm going to butcher that word, so too much like a monarchy, basically, mm -hmm. um, for the president to read it. Um, so and it's, it's, Which is interesting because Thomas Jefferson's like, I don't want to behave too much like a monarch, like in speeches, but I will take as much power as I possibly can. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, let's, you know, undeclared war on the Barbary Pirates by Louisiana, yeah. <laughs> like. You know, Thomas Jefferson would never contradict himself. <laughs> no, never. Sure. Anyway, <laughs> interesting. Um, so it's a kind of a way. It's a way for um, to rally support for the president's agenda. But um, in Ronald C. White's biography about Lincoln, he says it's also just a cobbling together of various reports. So I, I read one thing that said basically ninety percent of it wouldn't be, you know the average person would not want to read, you know, this is what's happening in finances. This is what's happening. In the postmaster gives his report. This is what's happening with lands. Um, That's what I felt when I was reading them all <laughs> at times. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I tried to read them um, and I was like, Oh, this is, you know, finances and all that. Um, so it's quite evident in Lincoln's messages, though, that he's not just speaking to Congress during certain parts. He is speaking to all American citizens. And I think he knew that when he was was writing it, because, I mean, they did obviously did not have the technology that we have today. You know, they're not gathering around the TV and watching it on CNN. Um, they're having to read it. Um, I'm guessing it would have been published in newspapers so people could could access it, but it wouldn't have been read until days after he'd given it. Um, yeah, and, so, and a reason that I believe you came up with this idea is because of the date mm -hmm. that it was done, which was... Yep, in December. Yep. So... Yep. Every, every December. Um, and now it's given traditionally, I think, in January or February, correct? Yep. Yeah, so which is yeah, it's it's especially when there's a transition, it's always kind of weird because the the incoming president gives the State of the Union very shortly after um, being inaugurated. So it's um, it, usually it, the, that first one is very significant because it's kind of like the first real, uh, other than the inaugural, obviously, it's the first real address as president uh, of of a whole lot of, of value mm. or importance. Um, however, when it was in December. Obviously, Lincoln in those days, the inauguration was in March, um, but you know he had been president uh, for for at least a little while, and um, the war was the wheels had definitely been turning for that. So, mm -hmm. I feel like the, the State of the Union shouldn't be uh, should be like later in the year instead of the beginning of the year. It's not like <laughs> the future like, for, like, of the fall Union. Sweeps? Like, like <laughs> no, like the State of the Union isn't. I feel like it's a nice yearly wrap up. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe that's well, what like, they did in yeah. December. I don't know. That's why I don't like it. Where you know, if well, you're listening, Congress, uh, I think we should. I don't know who makes this decision, um, but let's move it back to December. Well, that's an interesting <laughs> conversation too, because the Constitution says from time to time. Uh, yeah. Which it's like 
very much like I, th- I feel like the media says like the you know the president is doing his constitutional duty to deliver the state of the union which is technically true but it doesn't say he needs to do it annually um mm-hmm. so that's that you know and obviously there are other times that they call a joint session of congress to to deliver uh an address although those seem to be like very very significant uh historic speeches for the most part um mm-hmm. and and that is different than than this from time to time so. when i am in office i'm going to push it to december when rail splitter nation leads me to the white house because i am everybody's favorite <laughs> rail splitter oh. Um, that is my first decision I'm going to make is I'm moving it back to December. You hear to here for, well, I'm going to drain the swamp. Then I'm going to push it <laughs> to December. So that, uh, politically speaking, cause I, I might be your chief of staff or something. Uh, you're going to be sworn in in January. People are going to want to hear from you and you're going to say like, Nope, not, we're not doing it right away. We're doing it. We're going to wait. <laughs> Build it up. I'll just cut little promos like WWE leading up to it, little teasers, and then bam, I'll drop and hit the rating. I'm not even going to judge my presidency on approval ratings. This is going to be TV ratings. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so, so let's talk about it. Mary, talk about that. That was the first, uh, the first annual message to Congress from from the rail splitter. It was on December the 3rd, 1861. Um, And I just want to mention briefly, he did give one on July the 4th, 1861, but that was a special message to Congress. And um, I think that's one that probably warrants a whole episode just because it was his, I think his one and only special message message to Congress that he gave. Well, Um, I think it's also very interesting that it's on July 4th. Yeah. Because that like wasn't a holiday. I mean, it was obviously Independence Day always, but like, not you know for for Congress to be in session on July Fourth and the President to mm-hmm. deliver a, a, to a joint session is would be completely completely unheard of now but yeah. you know was a little bit less significant of a yeah. national day yep, off. So that- I've jotted down a few things leading up to it. You want me to go through that or no? Like current event wise at that time? Yeah, sure. If you yeah, if you want to lead up to the first message, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So just put this little context. You know, bull run has taken place now at this point. Um, November 1st, and he speaks of this, McClellan is like the man in charge. So he mm-hmm. replaces Winfield Scott. And then kind of another thing that shows up in this, too, is the U.S. Navy had seized Confederate diplomats that were on their way to England, which actually became quite the controversy um, mm-hmm. and quite the international incident there with that. So just to give our readers a little bit of context, kind of where we're at in the Civil War, uh, because I also had to look it up because um, just to double check. And then I yeah. will let you go, Mary. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so the, Nick gave actually a pretty good summary of exactly what Lincoln discussed in the, the first message to Congress. The only thing he didn't really, he sort of touched on it, was the Trent Affair, which was the British diplomats and the, the seizing um, that happened. And the reason he didn't discuss it is I don't think it had been fully resolved at the time. Um, one interesting thing that came out of this um, message to Congress was that the Department of Agriculture ended up being formed in May of 1862. Now, it didn't have a cabinet position until the 1890s, but Lincoln recommended a Department of Agriculture be formed, and Congress did it. Um, This is also where he mentions emancipation and colonization. And I know colonization, uh, Lincoln's ideas about that, that's something I know the three of us have discussed. It's something that kind of 
kind of wrestle with it when it comes to how we feel about Lincoln's views and all that. So that's where this is first, he introduces this. Um, Michael Burlingame said of this message, it's one of the president's less memorable state pa papers. And that's what I found too, that there's not as much written about it as the second and the third message. Um, but I still think it's important to look at when you're studying Lincoln, um, as are all his messages to Congress, because they show the evolution of his beliefs. Um, James Oak says, um, anyone hunting for clues to Lincoln's thinking would have found scattered through his first annual message to Congress in December, still more hints about his personal inclinations on matters of race and slavery. So in this message, Lincoln is, he suggests opening negotiations with Haiti and Liberia as a place to colonize with slaves that have been freed. And he also wants to suppress the illegal Atlantic slave trade that is still going on. So there's kind of those moral type issues that are coming about. Um, so do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're, yeah, we did. Talk, we have talked a little bit about that, but that uh, colonization uh, stance is, is always difficult to wrestle with for those of us who uh, look to Lincoln as uh, as a civil rights and uh, humanitarian leader. Um, and I think there's, there's a, and Eric Foner is actually his, his work, the fiery trial does a great job of really putting that into context and to try to encapsulate exactly what Lincoln's abolitionist uh, mm -hmm. stances were at various points in his life. Um, but I think planting the seeds, um, there's a couple schools of thought, but one is that, uh, the cost and logistics and, um, just, all of the things that would be associated with colonization, it was never going to be possible. It's just not really a plausible idea just because mm -hmm. to move, you know, 4 million people um, to an island that, or a country or anywhere who may or may not, you know, want people or, or be able to bring them into their own cultures. Um, however, um, Michael Burlingame always talks about how Lincoln's abolition was kind of like a wedge um, or like, you know, a, a rail splitter, kind of like an axe, where, um, you know, if he had hit it with the blunt side of the axe, it would have not been effective and it would have immediately stopped. But if he kind of starts by with the thin edge of it and kind of drives the wedge and it continues to drive the wedge yeah. in um, with cold, calculated, slow progress, incremental change, that wouldn't reach, yeah. lead to um, emancipation. So some believe that that colonization talk was part of that, mm -hmm. you know, incremental changes toward getting people on board with yep. abolition. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Liberia is mentioned in all four of the messages, mm -hmm. so which I found kind of fascinating. Um, I found actually quite a few good quotes just dealing with slavery. I mean, he has a whole section where he talks about labor is prior to and independent of capital. Mm -hmm. Capital is only the fruit of labor and could never exist and could never have existed if labor had not first existed. Labor is the superior of capital and deserves much the higher consideration. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about that. I, I kind of think he's making the argument, you know, the workers or the labor force deserves protection more than wealth it is kind of what he's arguing there. And, yeah. and he's really kind of setting out this case. And then there was another comment later, another great passage where I saw uh, the penniless beginner in the world labors for wages a while, 
saves a surplus with which to buy tools or land for himself, then labors on his own account another while and at length hires another new beginner to help him. This is the just and generous and prosperous system which opens the way to all, gives hope to all, gives hope to all, sorry. And um, to me, that's kind of the foundation of, you know, democracy and capitalism, Mm -hmm. our social mobility. And he's kind of laying out this argument that slavery takes away our social mobility, kind of using an economic argument um, to, you know, appeal. uh, And this comes up in another one of them, too, you know, making the case to the white workers in the north, um, you know, who might not have been strong abolitionists because they feared the competition. And, you know, kind of make an argument that, you know, slavery takes away the social mobility that allows people to ride up our social ladder in America. That's supposed to make it so great. I mean, we can argue whether that's true or not, if the ladder is truly there, Um, which I think it is. I just think the ladder is a lot longer for some people. Um, And he kind of brings that up. That was kind of a reoccurring theme, too. So I think you kind of and I know, Mary, you probably saw this, too, is the evolution of his slavery and his yes. stance on that throughout yeah. this piece yeah. is, is quite fascinating. Yeah. Another yeah, quote that I found on a more later note, uh, McClellan, basically, he makes the man, and it is, his quote is, it has been said that one bad general is better than two good ones. Um, I don't know if Lincoln would uh, say that after dealing with McClellan, uh, but to me, this, I th- also think, I remember once, I, I wrote a paper in college, and I decided I was going to take it out of the boxing, try to be critical of how Lincoln handled um, some of the war aspects as far as a logistic point of view. Lincoln, I think, wanted a very hands-on, and he tried to study. He read a lot of stuff. And I think sometimes maybe part of the problem with Lincoln and McClellan, they were two good ones who butted heads because McClellan mm-hmm. had a vision and Lincoln had a vision, and neither one, when they were both there, ever got to you know do what their vision was i don't think yeah i don't know I, I at first i just laughed at the quote though no i i thought that i came across that quote too and i thought oh that that's a really good one like so thank you for including that um and i thought it was interesting how he ended the the message the struggle for today is not altogether for today it is for a vast future also with a reliance on provenance, all the more firm and earnest, let us proceed in the great task which events have devolved on us. And the thing that stuck out to me in in that, and it might have for you guys as well, is great task. Lincoln would say, state something quite similar in the Gettysburg Address less than two years later. Yeah, yeah, and in the second inaugural too, the task, yeah, the task yeah. which is before us. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's, an, that's another thing I found, and you might have seen this too, uh, Nick, is just how elements of his other speeches kind of somehow get woven in to these messages uh, to Congress. No, oh, yeah, I agree. You kind of see um, some of the greatest hits from some of his other stuff get inserted. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the first one, if you go and try to tackle this one, you can skip a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It came across like a lot of logistics of just getting involved in a war, um, and yeah. try to like simplify some stuff. He talks a lot about like adding more circuit courts. I've kind of found fascinating. Um, and he talked a lot about like simplifying legislation, trying to reduce for like two volumes, one volume. It was, I just found that kind of fascinating, but 
it is a dry read, especially at the beginning. <laughs> yep. Yeah, very. And um, so we're ready to move on to his second message. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, so that one was given on December the 1st, 1862. Um, so at the time, just to set up what it's like, uh, so there's been military setbacks. There's been the victory, if you can call it that, at Antietam. Um, there's been the publication of the Emancipation Proclamation. And then there's been the elections, which have been quite difficult um, for the Republican Party. So it's been kind of what I would call a roller coaster year, I think, for, for Lincoln. Um, Probably the, the national... toughest year as far as the war is concerned, I would argue. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the National Intelligencer, um, a paper from Washington, D.C., um, described the message this way. Never has such a paper been delivered to the national legislature under auspices so grave and rarely, if ever has, if ever has one been awaited with equal solicitude by the people of the country. So there's this kind of like, it's a very grave situation, um, but it's also they're waiting to hear what Lincoln has to say about it. So I think there is some more build up to it than maybe, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but maybe more build up than the first one. Well, yeah, I think just naturally because, you know, a lot of people probably, I'd imagine when he first gave the one, you know, they weren't thinking still necessarily, I think they knew it was going to be a longer war, but mm -hmm. I think really in 1862, you know, you have the whole, uh, the setback for the Union on the Peninsular Campaign, you know, then, then Shiloh, you know, the significance of Shiloh to me is just the casualties, how yeah. many people. And I yeah. think that opens up a lot of people's eyes, just how bloody this is going to be. Yeah, um, I agree. And then, yeah, it's just a completely different mindset for everybody. So, and then, you know, I think we're naturally that way too. The country has gotten to know Lincoln a little bit better. Um, and so they're more invested in hearing from it too. Yep, I, I agree. And I think in the first message to Congress, like I think Lincoln's belief of the Civil War was basically – oh, this is just a minority of people in the rebelling states and the unionists will win out there. And I think he's probably, like you said, with Shiloh and then with Antietam, Lincoln has realized this is not just a minority of people. This is going to be a lot harder than, you know, I thought it was. And I think he's realized that um, by the time he delivers his message in 1862 and, um, Donald, in his bio about Lincoln, states that the message is going to be delivered to a highly critical audience. The Democrats now have increased um, membership in the House of Representatives. There's conservative um, Republican representatives that are now lame ducks. And there was even some fear that Lincoln would not even issue the emancipation on January the 1st, 1863. Um and again, he speaks of colonization and he goes as far as to propose three constitutional amendments for that plan about, you know, giving compensation to states as well as to owners mm -hmm. and then recommending that Congress give money for the colonization. Um, but one thing that does happen in this message is that Lincoln acknowledges the cause of the war as being slavery. And he states without slavery, the rebellion could never have existed without slavery. It could not continue. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I, in what I found was that this seems to be perhaps one of the most important of his messages to Congress. No, I agree. And the quote, I, I had that same quote that you said. And then also I put another one that comes, I don't know if it came before or later, 
Um, but this is the only substantial dispute, kind of laying it out. It is mm-hmm. slavery that caused this. Yeah. And he kind of says one section of a country believes that it's right and ought to be extended. The other believes that it's wrong and ought and ought not to be extended. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're starting to see that evolution compared from the first one. Him, you know, he's basically saying this. I think there's a point, too, where he says, you know, he basically applies he's not backing down from the emancipation. He's, yeah. he's going through with this, and, and that's the message there um, with that. I also quoted, I strongly favor colonization. So kind of pushing that idea there. I also yeah. found that to stand out as well. Yeah, and, I did too. Yeah, I think, and I think the year 1862, and this is um, definitely going to be a, an episode at, at one point or another, but um, is arguably the most important year uh, of the presidency of Lincoln's presidency um, because he made a ton of mistakes um, in I think it's typical for a lot of American presidents, even the even the great ones, to to trip a lot. Um, 1862 mm-hmm. and 1962, I think, are similar, where you have you know like Kennedy making quite a lot of mistakes with Cuba and kind of still figuring out uh, all kinds of stuff with as far as um, his presidency, and then um, 63 for Lincoln and really Kennedy too, but uh, being the year where he's really coming into his own and, and leading us through this, leading the country through this. Um, there's a book called Rise to Greatness, uh, Rise to Greatness and Abraham Lincoln and America's Most Perilous Year. Uh, it's by Don, David Von Draley. Um, it's been a while. I read it a while ago. Um, but that basically that book's whole thesis is essentially um, without his trials and tribulations in, in 1862, we don't. We wouldn't have gotten to 1863 and three, four, and five, where he is the great president. You know, so those mistakes are big. Um, you know, and there's the famous line where he says, "The bottom is out of the tub." Um, yeah. Basically, feeling you know the depths of despair that there's nothing that's going to uh, save the union, and he's kind of at wit's end. Um, and then the year ends with Emancipation Proclamation, and then this address to Congress, and um, Antietam and, you know, moving forward into 1863, um, which is when the tide starts to turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's an excellent assessment of it. Um, and he closes the, the final two paragraphs of this message are probably like they're up there with, you know, his inaugural addresses. I think the Gettysburg addresses, as far as being something that is recognizable as Lincoln, um, he starts in the the second to last paragraph, the dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. So he's starting to say like, what was then cannot be anymore. Um, You know, the union as it was cannot be, we have to change. And then he also says, we must disenthrall ourselves and then we shall save our country. And I came across a really excellent, excellent article from the opinionator by Ted Widmer called the last best hope. It was written in 2010, but it's, I think it stood the test of time. Um, he said that disenthrall was an interesting or startling choice of word for Lincoln to use. And it means like to remove someone from thrall, which means servitude, which is, you know, very similar to slavery. So Lincoln in saying disenthrall, it's, it's twofold. It's not just slavery. Um, but Widmer said it's also, those including mental servitude of those unwilling to change with the times. So 
we're being held back by people that don't want to change and we need to change. Um, and then he says, and we've, we've said this a few times already in this podcast, the fiery trial through which we will pass will light us down in honor or dishonor in the latest generation. Um, and then I felt like those final two paragraphs and, um, I'm wondering what you guys think about it too, but you can kind of hear the very beginnings of what would become the Gettysburg address. And Wood Woodmirror actually mentions this in his article too, that it's it's the beginnings of what would become what he would say in November of 1863 at Gettysburg. Yeah, and I think that that's an interesting kind of way to kind of go back to that point about 1862. And um, I think that that fiery trial line is you can you can really apply that to political any really political movement. Um, I think now we kind of sometimes call it being on the wrong side of history. Um, but what he says is, you know, are we going to honor future generations or dishonor them? Um, basically saying, like, am I going to be, you know, are we going to be known as those who fought to perpetuate slavery or those who fought to end it? Um, and looking looking at being on the right or wrong side of history, I think, is a kind of a 21st mm -hmm. century way of saying the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then I also thought it was interesting. He closes with, we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope on earth. And in that, um, I think he's referring to demo like the American democracy that, you know, there's this kind of, I don't know if you could call, still call it an experiment at that time going on, but, you know, they have to, I guess, prove themselves. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. it's interesting that the, that last best hope for earth is kind of a, is a memorable quote of Lincoln's um, that, uh, interestingly came from an address to Congress as opposed to, um, you know, a, a more mm -hmm. well-known speech like the, the, like an inaugural or, uh, the Gettysburg address. Um, and I remember there, I think there's, isn't there like a pretty well-known, um, book with that title, The Last Best Hope. I think I remember reading that in college, um, an older Lincoln biography, but yeah, I, it's, it's a great way to, uh, to phrase and to frame what the, what the war was about. Mm -hmm. yep. any other thoughts on the the second one guys i think you got it yep. so on to the third message which was december the 8th 1863 and lincoln wrote it while he was in his bed because he's recovering from smallpox which he came down with not long after he got back from gettysburg um so there was a lot of there's still a lot of pressure on Lincoln to still return the Union as it was. And we all know he's not going to do this. And he actually basically just puts it all out on the table for Congress. I thought with this quote, I shall not attempt to retract or modify the Emancipation Proclamation, nor shall I return to slavery any person who is free by the terms of the proclamation or by any of the acts of Congress. Dang. That's like a that's that's a little bit of a bomb to, to address in a, <laughs> yeah. in address to Congress to add in. Um, I'm not going to retract the emancipation emancipation proclamation and then dot 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 by any by any acts of Congress. So basically saying don't try to roll this back. Yeah, I'm not going to execute that law if you do. I, I believe you call that uh, uh probably in his case a pen drop. What yeah. we would call yes. a mic drop, <laughs> yeah. but you know he didn't deliver yeah. it. So. Yeah, he didn't. Oh, His pen that. probably went bam, just toss yeah. it down. Mm -hmm. um, no, I agree with you. I also had that quote written down. So we're like, uh, 
in sync on this. And I did this before I looked at your notes too, so I just didn't take her notes so and put it on my. Yeah, now it makes it sound like I didn't. So, um, no, that, that's pretty awesome. That that's a pen drop for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. yeah. And I just thought it goes back. It goes back to how he, you know, he said we're not in his second message. How he's like, we're not going back to how it was. We can't. Like we have to to move forward. And like, remember by this point in 1863, he's already delivered his Gettysburg address. So he's basically said like the union as it was cannot stand and we have to have a new birth of freedom. Um, Nicely said. And it is interesting that it's not, not very far from the Gettysburg address, November 19th to December 8th. So mm -hmm. um, these are still kind of uh, pretty, pretty, pretty fresh, not fresh ideas, but um really really starting to get traction publicly and he's really really going public with this very avowed commitment to the ideals of the the address and then obviously this message to congress as well mm -hmm. and i think he's also seen that as far as there's a political will from a military standpoint they got it at this point i mean yeah with vicksburg falling arguably is a bigger deal than mm -hmm. gettysburg i mean and then they have several successes out in the west too at this time um so, you know, I think that leads to him to taking a little bit of stance. And then towards the end of this, too, you know, he kind of starts setting kind of, I think, some of his reconstruction vision um, mm -hmm. there because he talks about providing the chance. You know, basically, he's putting out there for the South a chance or an opportunity to start rejoining the nation. He talks about, you know, we got this oath you could take. So he, he's starting to lay that groundwork of what mm -hmm. his vision of reconstruction was. Did you feel that way when you were going through this one? Yeah, I did. I thought it was, I think there's a lot more hope in it. There's a lot more positivity because he's got Gettysburg and then like Vicksburg, which was the, like that to me was such a decisive victory. And I think Lincoln mentions in this message, you know, the Mississippi is to open up again and we have cut the Confederacy in two that um, this was such a decisive victory for them. Um, cause he, he, and he does specifically mention the Mississippi being in federal control. Um, he, he also mentions, you know, African-Americans now being in the army yeah, as well, which I thought was very interesting how he's gone from kind of this idea of colonization to now they're, they are in the army. And he says, I think it's a full 100,000 are now in United States military service and, yeah, regarding Reconstruction, like Donald states in his biography that this shows a decided change in thinking about the future of the southern states. So even in just a year, it has changed so much. But I think it goes back to those military victories. Yeah, and get back to the – he also makes a point of comparing how the African-American soldiers are doing compared to the white soldiers. Mm -hmm. And he, he makes a point to say, you know, um, they're, they're up to – you know, I don't know how you, you want to phrase it, but that there is no difference – between yes. white soldiers and African-American soldiers' performance um, yep. in the field. And he makes a point to say that. He put it in a much different, more complex way than I just did there. But um, uh, he definitely makes a point to add that in the speech. Yeah, he. I, I noticed that too, how he basically, he, in his own way, calls out people that were saying, this is a bad idea. And he's now saying, oh, look at this is not a bad idea. It was not at all. It was a good idea. And also, the 54th from Massachusetts um, actually saw combat action that year in July 18th as well. I believe at Fort Wagner. Yes. Right yep. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. Well, they saw a lot of action, but the uh, Fort what Wagner. they're most famous for. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the movie. <laughs> Glory, great movie. Yeah. Yeah. That still holds up too, as far yeah. as like, um, you know, just you know, with modern, mm-hmm. great fight mm-hmm. scenes in there, and great Denzel, man, mm-hmm. Oscar. Yep. Best sporting. Ferris yeah, Bueller to too, man. Renaissance yeah, man. Ferris Ferris Bueller is Robert Goldshaw. <laughs> Inspector Gadget. <laughs> uh, I didn't think we'd ever drop a Spectre Gadget on this. Wow, that was I know my I know my Matthew Broderick. Oh, I remember that movie now, yeah. Godzilla. Oh. Go there too. <laughs> Another sar subpar movie. Carrie always was in there. Um uh, the uh, who's the plays the Irish that the Irish drill sergeant? Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah I yeah that's a great I don't know character. who plays that though. Um, he ends up he's uh I do I'm gonna look that up on IMDb. So anyway, sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> We're not here to talk about glory, um, the John Legend song or the film. So let's move on. Okay, so are we ready to go on to yes. the fourth and sadly the final message? Let's do it. Okay, so. This one is delivered on December the 6th, 1864. Um, So just to set it up at the time, uh, Sherman is on his march to the sea. Um, And Lincoln and nobody else, they don't know where he is at this point. Um, But so in this message, Lincoln urges the passing of the 13th Amendment, which um, he mentions that the elections have shown how the American people feel about it, that they are for it. Um, And he states, I venture to recommend the reconsideration and passage of the measure at the present session. Of course, the abstract question is not changed, but an intervening election shows almost certainly that the next Congress will pass the measure if this does not. And he goes on to say, and as it is so, as it is to so go at all events, may we not agree that the sooner the better? And getting back to the election and how he feels that the people have spoken, it is the voice of the people now for the first time heard upon the question. So he's saying like, he's basically saying just pass the 13th amendment. And because if you don't, the next Congress is going to. Yeah. And then he's got to be feeling good too about his cause because he's coming mm-hmm. off the win, um, you know, because it was election year. So yeah, no, I agree with you. I also found that, um, you know, kind of seeing the evolution further, you know, from just following it through you know he says mm-hmm. i retract nothing i said as to slavery kind of paraphrasing that so he's hitting home that again you know yeah. this is the cause this has been the cause since you know 62 since emancipa- emancipation was issued um and it will continue to be the cause and this is what we're fighting for yep yeah i i agree and he Lincoln mentions the Confederacy, and one thing I found interesting is Lincoln rarely mentions Jefferson Davis by name. He refers to him in the message as the insurgent leader, um, and he states he would accept nothing short of severance of the Union. Precisely, will we what we will not and cannot give. So again, he's I think Lincoln at this point know, knows he has it. He's got it. Um, And he proposes peace at any moment simply by laying down their arms and submitting to the national authority under the constitution. And at this point, he's got to know that the Confederacy is breaking apart, that Jeff Davis is losing support. And he's, I think, trying to reach out to everyone else in the Confederacy to say like, we're gonna, like what he said in his second inaugural, 
you know, we'll welcome you back and we can begin rebuilding the nation. Yeah, and I think that, um, and I, I, we try to avoid mentioning the, the, the film as, you know, as like our primary source for our Lincoln knowledge. <laughs> Uh, but I think the Vampire Slayer, right? One? No, yeah. uh, the the Spielberg film I think does a great job, and there's a, this is an interesting point in Lincoln's presidency in the Civil War because um, there's that point right because the Thirteenth Amendment was in January, so this is right at right around the same time, and there's that feeling that if they had if they had won the war any earlier, he would not have had time to get the Thirteenth Amendment through. Um, and so many people's motivation for that amendment was to help bring a faster end to the war. Um, and like, you kind of get this feeling there for a while that Lincoln was a little nervous, like, man, if this thing ends any, you know, if this thing comes to an end now, I'm going to lose that leverage and maybe this thing doesn't pass. Um, and he kind of even plays around with the fact that they were ready to surrender. Um, so I think that this part of the, uh, this message to Congress um, kind of talking about the insurgent leader and all that stuff, I think there is an element of um, I hope they don't just lay their guns down because, you know, we can't have the union as it was. We got to make the union what it's going to be. Yeah. So, Yeah, I agree. Another, another interesting thing I know in the fourth one for uh, uh, he talks about we, we got to beef up our uh, Great Lakes naval stuff because those dang canadians <laughs> are causing trouble in the union yes. so he did mention that at the beginning i just thought that was kind of funny yeah, which we've talked about on the show a couple times yeah. so you had uh confederates who were going up in canada trying to rally yeah. um so support with some other confederates and kind of raiding into some of the northern states to cause an yeah. uprising so and yeah, that they, was they, of concern um, they were mainly going up into Quebec, like Montreal and all that. Not trying to say my province was innocent <laughs> at the time. They were nowhere near Godrich, so everything's no. okay. <laughs> they did not go shopping at Fincher's for any of their material. <laughs> Godrich is Union country. That's right. It is. Sherman. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Yes. Sherman was in my town. That's proof for Union. <laughs> yeah, what more do you need? And he didn't burn it. Because a lot of towns, exactly. Sherman, Sherman has been in a lot of towns. But he burnt burnt a lot of them. Yeah. That one he didn't, he didn't burn. Didn't burn Godrich. Nope. <laughs> he said it was lovely. He did. did he say that? <laughs> yeah. What was the quote? It was something like that, right? He he liked. I think he liked it here. Was what I in one newspaper article I read that he liked his time he spent here, which was only I think a day or two. So. Isn't there um, like a? Have you talked about a tree or something that he was by? Why do I think this? Am I making this up? Yeah, because I mentioned the tree in the first episode I was on. There is is a tree that is near the harbor, and apparently Sherman, when he arrived in town, he's like, wow, that's a really tall tree. So the tree is now marked in my town. Nobody knows about it except for, like, I've mentioned it to people who live here. I'm like, do you know of the Sherman tree? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, that big tree out out in this one trail. And they're like, nope. Rail splitter podcast goal to podcast underneath the tree one <laughs> the day. The Sherman tree. <laughs> I want to do a pot our podcast from underneath from the Sherman, underneath Sherman tree. tree. Yeah, day. you know what? He was right. That is this is a nice tree. Even if we gotta like bring a generator out there to get power. Yep. <laughs> so all right, anything else on the fourth uh, message to Congress? Uh I have some overall themes that kind of popped out that I kind of found oh. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um in all four of them, Lincoln stresses, you know, he, he always talks about how America's expanding. 
moving out west. He continues to talk about there's abundance of resources and that we and he kind of always says mess we need to maximize it you know and he's always talked about improving you know internal like uh transportation the railroads i mean he's the one who passes the pacific railway act the homestead act starts underneath him and he almost has like this such a positive vision on the possibilities of the country of expansion and what's out west and what this country could be once it's reunited and that always came across to me in all four of those when I was reading. Just, you know, how he had such a great vision for the possibilities of what has become our Continental 48. Um, and I just found that kind of unique. Yep, that's that's what I, I noticed that too. And um, the thing that I think the theme I noticed the most and I probably paid attention to the most was just his his evolution on the thinking of slavery especially between 1862 and 1863 like how much more positive 1863 was than his 1862 message yeah i agree with that too i mean you, you see a great evolution of how it kind of starts to him kind of really not getting into huge detail on it but kind of setting the foundation of why slavery is bad the first one mm -hmm. to supporting and backing up emancipation to 63 having this you know, I'm staying my ground. This is the way it's going to be. And then the 13th Amendment, you do see this nice evolution, which we've talked about with Lincoln before, um, you know, and, and um, on other episodes. So I also, it was kind of neat seeing it because I was able to kind of read them with two days, you know. Um, I read two, mm -hmm. one day and two the next. So kind of seeing that evolution um, was very neat and cool. Yeah, and I think that's um, a very valuable part of looking at these is that's a theme you can kind of relate to the rest of Lincoln scholarship is to look at that evolution over a short amount of time, really a one presidential term plus a little bit more, yeah. um, his evolution. And then of course, over time as a, uh, you know, of his life as well, but that, that evolution and growth, um, is I think a key to, to understanding Lincoln. And I think there's even there's even like the military evolution for him as well. You know, he starts out in the first one thinking probably, oh, this might not be a long war. It's like a minority. And by 1862, with the casualties at Shiloh and Antietam, it's like, yeah, this is bad. This is really bad. And then there's kind of the hope of like the strategy has obviously become better with the victories of like at Gettysburg and Vicksburg. And then by 1864, and he mentions you know, in his, um, his last message, he, he mentions the March to the sea and how that nothing like that had ever been done. And look how big the army is that we can have our general in you know, like, you know, grant in one part. And then there's this gigantic army marching 300 miles, um, you know, from Atlanta to Savannah. And he said, and actually Lincoln says like, you know, I don't want any, basically it's just, par I'm just going to paraphrase it because um, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he says, I don't want anything negative said about Sherman because he's not done yet. But you can see that Lincoln is thinking he's, Sherman's going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's key to his evolution as a military leader. And that's specifically looking at the West and Sherman and, and Grant and firing generals over time and all of those things, especially when you go back to the first one, he's talking about McClellan and then where we end up at the last one when he's talking specifically about Sherman, but um, other areas 
of the military as well. So and it's kind of go back to that one quote I said too about you know one bad general is better than two good ones. You know, you think of Grant and Sherman and how they just work so well together too. It's just kind of funny how that yeah. quotes kind of come full circle. Yeah, yeah. That's, Dan that's, McClellan. It's amazing how that how often that tends to happen in in Lincoln's galaxy. I'm almost so. more frustrated with McClellan than Fillmore. Almost. And there it is. Dude, he's dying. Uh, he's the dude. Like... <laughs> Fugitive slave act that that asshole. You know, past mm-hmm. freaking Fillmore. I agree. I agree. I'm I'm so glad Alec Baldwin continues to turn down the uh, the film role that he is made to play because he looks just like Miller Fillmore. All right, uh, that was uh, that was a great little tour through those messages to Congress, and um, I think that was our most one of our most researched episodes, not by me, but by the two of you. And I really I that came out wrong. I did, I just wanted to say I didn't do any of the research. You all did. So um, thank you uh, for picking me up this week because uh, I didn't get a chance to prepare as like I like I would have normally or what like I would have liked to. So um, I enjoyed kind of listening to you guys talk about the messages as well. And uh, if you hear me sneezing or sniffling, it's because of Wrigley the cat is getting to me apparently Aww. at Nick's house. <laughs> my my diabetic cat that I have to give uh, insulin. Why shots does to. your cat doesn't want to be known by its condition? It needs to be known because it's a pain in my ass. It's a bigger pain that's going to come out than, than a child, than a baby. Yeah. Not that the babies are pains, but like a baby you can like give to like mom. Hey, grandma, hold the baby for a while. You can't uh, bring your cat to somebody's house and get away from it. This, You're stuck with it. Got to be here. I put more care in this diabetic cat than you do your kids, I bet. Yeah, it's I overwhelmingly obvious to Rail Splitter Nation that you are not a parent. <laughs> <laughs> but you are a good cat owner, and you care for that cat, and that's real too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I've just—I <laughs> know you're kidding. I hope at least kind hope, of at least a I little sincerely bit. A little bit. Um, but anyway, um, so uh, we researched the heck out of this episode and failed to communicate about a possible this week in Lincoln. Uh, so in hindsight, we should have just done the gift ideas. I have some at the end. But it looks like Nick came through to bail us out once again. It's an NPR article I came across here, actually. Let me see if I can pull this up. I probably lost it. Oh, nope. Here it is. It's from, it's dated. It's from April 10th, 2011. Um, So let me find the location of this place. Ohio State House. So Columbus, Ohio. Um, they do Civil War reenactors, but according to the newspaper, when Civil War reenactors get together in the area, Star Wars fans in their gear often show up. And that happened that Sunday at the Ohio State House. And there's a nice picture here of the Star Wars and Civil War reenactors, which I'm showing to Jeremy right here. So, wow, there is a layout that's like spot on. That was so, yeah. um, might be worth sharing out there. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, it's a heck of a photo. Yeah, we'll share it out. It's uh, it's kind of fitting too with the week. Yeah, so. maybe we weren't quite yeah. as off as we thought we were. I thought we were kind of way out there doing a super kind of crazy episode with the Star Wars Civil War Abraham Lincoln mashup, but it, it looks like Ohio's been doing it for years. There's a Ghostbuster <laughs> in this too. Get that guy out of there! Uh, it's like seriously, look at that. It's like a fat <laughs> Ghostbuster. That's not oh far yeah, there's like two of them. Yeah. There is a photo of Lincoln with like a proton pack on. Oh yeah, somewhere. <laughs> oh, I've seen great. it before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And a Jack Sparrow's there too. 
Wow, it's so. Uh, we're just gonna stick with the Star Wars. So we'll we'll uh, <laughs> we'll tweet out that uh, that little message or that little image. So, uh, anything else for the good of the cause, uh, Mary or Nick? No, that was a really fun episode, and I I enjoyed researching it. I learned so much from his messages to Congress, just and seeing that evolution in so many different ways was was really awesome. Cool, cool. Yeah, I agree. And I once again, thank you both for doing all the research and a lot of the, the heavy lifting uh, this week. Uh, we have been seeing a lot of interaction with our Twitter followers, uh, giving us some episode ideas and uh, sharing some funny uh, takes on Lincoln, which has been great to see. So thank you. Thank you, uh, all of you uh, for that. Uh, continue to do that. Once again, we are at RailsplitterPod on Twitter and on Instagram. You could always email us at derailsplitterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, speaking of the one tweet that was at us, the headbanging stormtrooper. Oh, yes. yeah, Dave. Too. Uh, Did yeah, anybody Lucy figure Barton. out somebody? I, who... uh, I'm, I started to write a reply to that because I wanted it. I was trying to like make it Stephen Douglas and then throw a short joke in there. Uh, <laughs> and I just couldn't quite get the wording right. So I kind of gave up on that and then tried to think of somebody else that like was kind of a doofus. Um, and I didn't I never quite got there. I'm right. sure you could come up with like a you know maybe like Custer if <laughs> if you can make if you could draw oh, that. Yeah, it's, that, a, it's a bit yeah, of a stretch but cuz he didn't I don't know, do Sheridan might Sheridan might have been the head banging Yeah yeah like or Pickett <laughs> well, Yeah, yeah. Pick that's <laughs> like, like I got it <laughs> put me in coach <laughs> you know That's a really insensitive way to talk about a bunch of people dying in Pickett's <laughs> charge but maybe Pickett was the guy who's like Battle? Where? Where? I'm gonna. I'll. I'll do it. And then he just runs, and then hits his head on the beam, and 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 they lose the battle. All right, I'm gonna go with it. Pickett, the stormtrooper that bangs his head on the beam. George Pickett. Didn't Hooker get knocked senseless at? Uh... Hooker got his leg blown off. Well, then he also had a concussion too at. Uh... God, what? The... Chance. Yeah, Chancellorville, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, could be concussed Hooker. Could be. Yeah. Um... Although Hooker was a fighter, like fighting Joe fighting Hooker, Joe Hooker. But mm-hmm. outside yeah. of you know, you take away that battle, he actually had a quite the positive um, mm-hmm. run there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I yeah, get they say spare him, he fights. Right? So for those of you who don't know, maybe what the heck we're talking about, uh, we got tweeted at, and it was us to cast uh, a stormtrooper. Looks like he's kind of head banging as he's walking. So that is what we're referring to. So oh, as, yeah, he bang, like he's running and he hits his head on like the overhand yeah yeah so yeah um so yeah follow us on twitter that's what you're missing out at yeah uh, you're missing on and it is uh it is fun and we got a we got a nice little community going so and also jump on the facebook group that's a really good spot a lot of people share some good articles on that which is really cool to see so subscribe to us on uh itunes too so that way when a new show drops you get a notification goes right in there helps us move up the list a little bit which makes it a little bit easier to convince some people to come on the show um so and definitely rate us as well so you know um and feel free to name your favorite rail splitter on twitter hashtag, hashtag team nick, team nick and <laughs> hashtag the other two yeah there you go so uh, i have not yet seen anybody who has amended their review to put a hashtag on yet uh, but i will keep checking uh and we'll read those as they come and then also we read new reviews so please take some time to give us a review uh, we just want to be able to pop up in searches so people can find an Abraham Lincoln podcast if they're looking for one. And so. I believe we've shared every review, even when they're critical of us. We definitely mm-hmm. have. We definitely have. So, 
thanks again, uh, everyone out there for listening. Happy holidays to everybody. We will be back next week on the 21st uh, with another episode about Abraham Lincoln. But until then, keep walking the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you soon.